Edinburgh, Scotland's capital. It has a parliament, it has a palace, which, like the city, will be lovely when it's finished. It has a castle. And a real castle. It has a beach, it has a mountain, Arthur's seat. In the 20 occasions that I've come to this city, every time I make it a point not to climb Arthur's seat. But this year was no different. And if you do make it to the top, it offers a fantastic view of the most expensive short-term accommodation in the UK. But most of all, Edinburgh is a flyering festival. See, an obvious Edinburgh problem, a wet seat after a rain shower. How can you solve it? Quite easy. Take some flyers. Problem sorted. The Fringe is at the end of the comedy year where comics come to get examined and graded out of five stars. Anything can be a show in Edinburgh and anyone can be and will be judged. Uh, hello and welcome to You Should Have Been Here Last Week, the podcast by myself and fellow comedian Paul Ricketts, in which we interview the movers, the shakers and the promoters and the comedy uh, business people behind the, all the shows and ask them for their point of view. Now this week uh, we're interviewing one of the um, most established uh, comedy promoters in Scotland um, and also you know, the doyen of um, Edinburgh promoters, the woman behind the Gilded Balloon Comedy Club, um, the one and only Karen Corrin. Uh, and in this interview, uh, we cover such topics as uh, why is it so expensive <laughs> to, to live at the Edinburgh Festival? Uh, what's the future of Scottish comedy uh, and the fringe in general? And, um, you know, what's it? what was it like in the bad old days of 1992? You know that sort of stuff. I don't. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm willing to that? hear it. Willing to learn. Yes. So here she is, uh, Karen Corrin. Our guest today on the podcast, uh, you should have been here last week, is uh, Karen Corrin, uh, one of the eminence greedies of the Edinburgh Festival uh, and uh, one of the major promoters, I think, in uh, in the whole of uh, the country. First of all, Karen, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we, we sort of start by asking every guest, and it's a, quite a philosophical question, uh, why did you get into promoting comedy? Oh my God, you want my life story? <laughs> yes, um yes well uh let's start no i i principally did it by accident because i wanted to have a laugh i'd had quite a hard not hard life in you know Mm. comparison to many people but um you know i hadn't found anything that i wanted to do you know i was i I brought up a son on my own and, um, you know, so most of the work I did was to bring him up. So I wanted to find something that I wanted to do. And I had friends who uh, were involved in this new uh, alternative comedy malarkey in the beginning of the 80s. And uh, they were great. And they used to say to me, oh, we need somewhere to perform in Edinburgh because you know, at the Edinburgh Festival, because there's nowhere that, you know, there's not enough venues and blah, blah, blah mm. uh, in those days. And uh, so I opened a venue and it's that started, I mean, 
you know, it's obviously a lot more complicated than that. But I, at first I did it part time while I was still working at the Norwegian Consulate General. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a that's a cracking uh, job share, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was secretary to the, to the Norwegian Consul General, uh, and it was a great job, but uh, had no future, etc. And uh, you know, it was fine while I was bringing uh, my son up, but um, you know, I needed something for myself, and they persuaded me. And it started as a hobby, and I was just having a laugh and enjoying it, and. Uh, you know, in the first year or two, but then it became quite serious. And I started a thing called Late and Live, which um, was the only late night um, venue at the festival where uh, comics could come and relax and uh, perform. And it would start, well, in those days, it was from midnight till four, and then it developed into one till five in the morning. So it became a real... um, you know, a rite of passage for a comic to go through. I think you did it a few times. I, I did it many times. Yeah. I, I actually did those some amazing, you know, one of the best nights I ever saw there was uh, Johnny Vegas. I, I, I think you were there where he was in the audience, uh, guy was in the audience. He said, uh, I, I love your shirt. And the guy had a, uh, a frilly shirt on. And you know how big Johnny Vegas is? He goes, let's swap shirts. And the guy said, no, no, no. And you know what the audience is like there? Swap shirts, swap shirts. So they swap shirts. Johnny Vegas puts the shirt on. It doesn't fit him. Barely fits him. He goes, he goes, I love this shirt. And the buttons came off. And it turns <laughs> out the shirt was about 200 quid. Oh, no. The, the poor- guy was going mad. No, Johnny Vegas gave him the money. He gave him the money. I said, uh, I said I'm sorry about that. He got the money out of his pocket and gave it. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. One of the things I loved about Late and Live was just stories. I mean, I can't remember that story. I probably was there. You know, I, I mean, it's one one of the things that I loved was just seeing things that you wouldn't see anywhere else. I mean, now there's so many late night shows and, um, you know, and all that kind of thing. But then it was really, really the first, you know, and that's what started it all. You know, I mean, it. It was, I think it was 87 I started Late in Life. And, um, mm. you know, the the stand-ups were very male-oriented and et cetera. Yes. Uh, and that and the aggression of the of uh, sort of Late in Life was um, world-renowned. But I wanted to try and support women. And I'm so glad that women have come through now. But it's taken a long time. I mean, in those days, there was maybe about a handful you know, Joe Band and Jenny, well, Jenny Eclair was probably around, but, well, you'll know, Donna mm. McPhil and, you know. Yeah. Just a handful. And now, and and the and the women also ended up having to, to work against the men and be as aggressive as the men. And now they've come into their own and they're not, they yeah. are themselves, you know, which is great. So you'll understand that my side of comedy is, is, pushing the performer and caring about the performer. It's not about the money. Otherwise. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, not, none of us is in it for the money, are we? <laughs> well, I know a lot of people that are in it, are in it for the money. I mean, uh, there's many, many agents that have made their, their um, companies great through, through the Edinburgh Festival. That's true. I've got a big list of them here. No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to name any names. I mean, so going on to the practicalities of it, I mean, 
that. I know that you sort of said why you did it and how you went about it. I mean, have you got any tips for people, uh, for, for fellow promoters or people just thinking of starting out on that road? What are the do's and the don'ts? Yeah, I suppose. I was just going to say the other thing that I did in 88 was I started So You Think You're Funny, which is a stand-up comedy competition, and it's still going um, after all these years. And the number... and it, And that competition gives new comedians, because they've only been working for a year, give them that little leg up and that little confidence, you know. So um mm. and we're very proud that it's 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 managed to to you know go for so long. Um I'm on the sixth heat today. <laughs> no, the fifth. Oh my heat. god. And we've got another two tonight and the next night, and then the big final ne- uh, week on Thursday. Um yeah. So that's great. I mean, as far as and so, what I have to do is with the judges, we have to go and speak to all the contestants after they've done their to try and advise them about how how their um, how their performance went and what their not what their future is, but you know, because as far as stand ups concerned, there's more than ever. We had over five hundred applications this year. Wow, more than Ooh. ever. So there is definitely an industry, you know, a future um, going forward. Um, but for them, it's about um, keeping on gigging and keeping on working and keeping on writing and being different. You know, yeah. as far as promoting is concerned, it's hard. I mean, now with social media, for example, TikTok has taken over and all these performers think they're going to be huge. Well, they are huge stars through TikTok. But, you know, all, all they've got is about five minutes of material. And for them to go from that to the stage, you know, yeah. never, if if um, you are friends with a TikTok and you, a, a sensation, if you like, you can try promoting them and see how you get on. The thing is, <laughs> it, it's, the same, it's the same as it was in the early days. I mean, the performer has got has got to be good and people have got to want to come and see them. Mm-hmm. So it's about where you promote, you know, that 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 you go to a venue that actually attracts um, audiences. You know, if you go to, you know, a little village theatre, you know, it's not always that you can do it. But I mean, we we have had all year round venues. We, I mean, we lost our small venue during COVID. So now we're going touring again, um, mainly during the year. And uh, it's great actually because um, the the venues around Scotland, you know, they, there's a huge appetite uh, for people coming out. And I've forgotten your question. You want me to give you tips? <laughs> I'll, I'll just go to another question, which says, you know, um, what what do you think? Uh, what's your view on where comedy is going? You've all, you've already slightly touched on it with the TikTok thing. You know, it just strikes me, by the way, what you said uh, about them only having like two or three minutes on TikTok, and then it's a vastly it's it's that kind of thing that used to happen in the old days, where someone was funny in a pub, and the, and all their mates would go, "You're really funny, you are. You should go on." And then, of course, the leap from that, and then you'd see where people had the metal to do it. And then you see people just went, oh, whoa, 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 it's not for me. And, uh, yeah, the, there are instances of uh, TikToky people being confronted with a live audience and finding it a bit a bit uh, out of their comfort zone. Well, you know? that's the whole thing with So You Think You're Funny, for example. The people that go in for that um, is people that 
their mum and dads and their best pals have said, "You, yeah, exactly what you're saying. You're really funny. <laughs> you go on stage. But without the, I mean, the best people that, that go into it are people that are already talking to like teachers or doctors or, you know, lawyers and, you know, but if you're, if you're, um, your advice from your mum and dad and friends is not always the right advice for going on stage. You know? <laughs> and and our criteria for comedians is originality. Well, be funny and be funny right away. You know, I yeah. mean, stories are all well and good. And, you know, so many people talk about their mental health and everything these days. And, mm. and you know, we've all had, you know, we've all, you know, in the past, I mean, it's the subjects they talk about, you know, that is, yeah. and you hear so many comedians talking about the same subjects and it's about originality and being different. that makes That's it. very true. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. Anyone can be a promoter, anyone, but they have to believe in the per- person they're promoting and um, encourage them and, uh, you know, go to the right places. I mean, I'm I'm not, I don't understand TikTok. I don't even know what to press to see it. You know? <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to. <laughs> have you? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Got, everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it. We've got a Scottish performer called Paul Black. And he, I think it was about four years ago, we put, it was during COVID or just towards the end of COVID, we could only do outdoor theatre, and we did an outdoor yeah. theatre during the festival. And he was a TikTok sensation. And literally, he had not gone on stage before. And he sold out within minutes, and we put wow. him on. And he did great, because his... his um, I was talking to him last night, because we've put him on for seven nights at the Gilda Balloon, and uh, he said that that time was the first time he'd gone on stage. And I watched his show last night and it was really good. So obviously there are people, but yeah. his kind of TikTok was not just one, you know, they do loads and loads and loads of them. And, you know, he's he's a writer, he's, you know, and he's a stand-up, but he's getting to be a stand-up. But yeah. I mean, I, I, I was impressed, but... You know, it's like people going into Love Island or doing uh, reality TV. They're not all going to win and not all going to be stars, you know. But the, the, that that um, wanting fame is is not dying at all, is it? <laughs> Uh, no, but it's it's wanting a certain type. It's wanting any type of fame, you know. As in, uh, you, you. I mean, I always get a bit depressed when people, uh, uh, you know, say that I want to be a television presenter. Just first and foremost, I thought, well, don't you actually love what you're doing? And for certain people, it's a means to an end, you know, which is yeah. is quite sad. I think you've got to love, got to love it. You know, and I still get as much pleasure from doing it and watching it. Every show that I go to, I go, I get there early so I can see the rest of the people on the bill because I still love comedy and it's it's the well, that, it's the best art form in the world, I think. You know, that is absolutely brilliant, and you don't get bored with them all talking about the same subjects. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that and that, I'll tell you, that is an art form in itself. Is curating a stand-up show because. Yeah. Curating my my daughter Katie is now my partner in the business, and yeah. uh, she of course knows all the younger ones and uh, 
I only know the old ones. <laughs> but, um, you know, I still do all the programming. But as far yeah. as creating, like Late and Live, she she does Late and Live. And she did a brilliant thing because, as I said, it used to be one till five. And, uh, you know, and and it was late and it was live. So it was comedy for about two hours. And then it was a live band. And that's how we, we did it. But now times have changed and Katie would say to me, people, they're too busy on their phones or they're drunk. They, they, they can't sustain that listening or watching comedy at that late at night. So she moved it till half past 11, uh, which I was upset about. But, you know, I said, OK. And she made all the compares women. And I ah. thought that has changed it. We are full every night just now. It, it, and right. put men on. You know, <laughs> men are there. It's not. I'm not. Well, women are great. You know, but but the the compare the women compare they they you know they they uh, fool around a bit and everything. But the aggression isn't as there. You know, they're not as. I mean, yes, they get heckled as well, but they have they they make a much nicer atmosphere in the room. Mm. And the, the day of of um, the nineties and you know. Ross Noble and um, and uh, you know this is what happens to me. I can't remember any of them. Oh, I do remember you all, but it's in my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We're the same. <laughs> but you've already answered that question in a way. I mean, I think that that you know, given the social media thing, it is is probably going to be the future. But also, I don't think you know. We talk about the Johnny Vegas moments live. Live comedy will will never die. I don't think. Oh no, absolutely. I I completely agree with you. And and live performance in any art form. What what upsets me about what's going on just now is that, I mean, I sit up in the balcony and watch people going in, and uh, sitting and watching comedy. And half of them look at their phones halfway through, or or you know, they they cannot put the phones away, and. I want people to just be, if you go to a comedy show and you forget about the time and it just goes like that, yeah. you know, it is, that's what it's about. And it's yeah. about going on a journey, whether it's story, I mean, you know how how um, live comedy has developed over the years and you've seen it, how um, it was all very political and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> back in the 80s and then people like Ross Noble and uh, Phil Kay and all these people they sort of made it a wee bit more flowery and you know imaginative and uh, um, it opened the doors for so many different people yeah. so it, and as you say it is in a brilliant art form um, it's just that theatre still has a little bit of of um, I mean there you go Mark Thomas has just won a, a fringe first. You know, yeah. and there is a snobby in it, you know, that theatre, you know. Yeah, yeah theatre, darling. Yeah. How do you see the future of the fringe itself? How much it actually costs uh, performers to to be up there, and specifically accommodation as well, which is, you know, it's incredible, uh, huge expense. How, how do you see the future of the fringe in the next, say, 10 years? Well, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> that long. <laughs> <laughs> um, Put it this way, I've survived uh, with the Gilda Balloon 38 years and it's not been easy financially, absolutely not, because I'm mid-scale, I'm not, I'm not the pleasance and I'm not assembly and I'm certainly not underbelly. Um, and 
it is getting absolutely more and more difficult, not just for the artists coming up, but also uh, for us because we pay proper wages. We don't we don't do volunteers, no volunteers, mm-hmm. everybody paid. And and also um all the um suppliers are have all gone up. So the future um is a huge question mark. Um the fringe society themselves have now become quite a an entity. You know, they they are there as they're not our figureheads. They they should be there to sell tickets and promote our shows. And they are now a big brand, you know. Ah, right. We, yeah. We are we are the curators, but we are not the ones that can actually get any public funding. We did luckily get funding uh during COVID to survive. Uh that funding obviously is over now, so it's about how we can continue to survive. I think that that certainly the the council in Edinburgh um, and the local the government, Scottish government know that uh, the festivals in Edinburgh and there's about twelve of them are very yeah. important to the local economy, and therefore they know um, that they have to support us and help. So. I actually think today, in today's date, I would say um, the future is very bright because Edinburgh is absolutely full of people. It is so busy. I've never seen it so busy since 2019. Uh, wow, so that's good. That, yes, and that makes it very positive. And if it's like that, surely um, the government and everything will make sure that none of the the, the smaller venues will die. But um, you know, we have to see. I mean, we live on a knife edge every day, uh, Katie and I, you know, and um, <laughs> it's terrible to say because we have budgets and everything. I don't sit there crossing <laughs> my fingers every day, but I kind of do, you know, because yeah. um, it's about because there's so much the the, the commercialisation of the Edinburgh Fringe came at the, in the noughties after after my my terrible fire in the Cowgate. Yes, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I moved up to TV and it and it became and with the big four, you know, and they they are businessmen that come into Edinburgh and, you know, make their money and go away again. Katie and I live and work in Edinburgh and love it. And we love what we do and we absolutely love um, promoting comedy and we will continue to do it, but we might be doing it on a smaller scale than... From a bus stop. (laughs) I hope not, I hope not. It's hilarious. It's not hilarious, it's absolutely wonderful. But Katie had uh, a baby four weeks ago. So so I am back. I have now regressed 10 years and I am up at that venue all the time. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Katie has done such a good... She she is the future of the Gilded Balloon, and she um, she's doing such a great job. And we will continue to promote and support comedians going forward. Great, I think I think that's a great place to wrap up. Um, I'd like to say thanks very much, Karen. You said about it flying by; it just flown. Uh, it's been very very <laughs> interesting. Well, thank you very much, Karen Corrin. Uh, that was uh, you should have been here last week. Thank you very much. Cheers. All right. Bye. Bye. So that was uh, Karen Corrin. Very interesting interview. Funny enough, uh, you'll mm-hmm. notice that I wasn't on it. 
But I did listen to it because I was in Edinburgh, actually at the Fringe, and was staying in a student hotel where I had enough internet to actually record it, but not to be part of it. (laughs) Particularly terrible place for internet, even phone signal. I mean, it is a very hilly city. It's got seven hills like Rome. Uh, Shit broadband to go with the shit app apparently, yeah, but, uh, which isn't working properly, apparently, and uh, it's telling people that their shows are not available to book when they actually are available to book. Uh, you could say that the app has got a sense of taste, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> the app is just saying, well, do you really want to watch that? So what was it like? Did you enjoy Edinburgh? Did you enjoy the festival? Um, I was supposed to go up and meet and talk to lots of other promoters, but... Um, Basically, I just got drunk and did lots of gigs. Uh, one so, of the amazing things about Edinburgh is that you pretty much lose weight and you think, well, how's this happen? And the reason you do this is the walking. It's then, walking uphill, isn't it? Because now yeah. I know. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> because of the elevation, uh, my phone that tracks my steps, I was doing up to 30,000 steps a day. Wow, that's and good. And the elevation was saying, you've gone up 40 flights of stairs. No, I haven't. I just walked up one road. That's the other thing with Edinburgh. It's got f- some fantastic pubs. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, only, and it's only nine quid a pint during the festival, yeah. isn't it? So, uh... I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> the food is terrible. And you think, how can yeah. I survive on seven pints a day and two battered sausages? But somehow... Yeah, not... But you can. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Well, the comedy lexicon word of the day is Edinburgh Act. To what would that be referring? <laughs> to an act that only really is considered to be good when doing an Edinburgh show. So they can do 50 minutes, 50 minute hours, but they can't seem to do 20 minutes or even 15 minutes or 10 minutes. It has to be the long format yeah, narrative yeah. show, which is what they're good at. And there's certain people who I think that's totally reasonable uh, because when they do Edinburgh shows, they touch subjects that you can't really yeah, yeah. deal with in a 20-minute set, and they do it really well. But um, other acts who I think, well, no, I think Edinburgh acts are a bit kinder, <laughs> Edinburgh audiences were a bit kinder, and basically you're just as bad as when you do 20 minutes, but it's longer, and it's all about you, and people accept that in Edinburgh, and they wouldn't accept that in other places. We've talked about this many times before about the um, the snobbery involved in the Edinburgh Festival and the idea that um, an Edinburgh you're not a proper comedian with capital letters uh, until you've done the Edinburgh Festival and if you if you don't do the Edinburgh Festival you're not considered to be a real comedian by certain people and the and they they there's always there's a big divide isn't it because um, certain uh, Edinburgh acts look down their noses at people that earn their living from comedy. <laughs> Uh, and we've both been trapped in dressing rooms with people just going, oh, I can't play this audience. Oh, it's not my kind of audience. And I'm thinking, what what human beings? In Edinburgh, of course, you've got a, a show with a poster and a flyer and a submission yeah. into a programme that you paid hundreds yeah. of pounds for. And that should sure. mean that you get an audience that wants to see you and that show. But, of course, we know that's not mm-hmm. always the case, that anyone might turn up... Yeah, it could be raining. <laughs> yeah. Sudden downpour. Everyone runs into your show. You think... I've cracked it! Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, the same thing happened to me in 2017. I had a, a flyer doing my um, flyer ring, and it was just for one day, and he was really good. But he was only he was only about seventeen or eighteen, and my show was about trains and railway, and you know it was quite a political show about the railways. And he got all these like young, they were all posh rugby playing, and they all wore their collars up, and I, I was sold out packed. But it, it was a fucking awful show, yeah, because they didn't want to be there. He persuaded them to go, and they just they just didn't want to listen, you know. And all I could hear was like, oh, 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 at the back, and I thought, oh god. I, I wish he hadn't brought them in, but you know it does happen. It does happen. My partner, um, this happened in well last week, that uh, someone went up to her and said, uh, "Would you like to see some fantastic comedy?" I can tell by your eyes that you're a fan. <laughs> As she took the flyer, and I said, "You're not going to go to that show, are you?" Because that was the slimiest bit of flyering I've ever seen. And she goes, "Well," she said, "Well, he's quite a nice chap." I <laughs> so she went and I said, look, I'm not going, um, you know, you go and tell me what it was like. And she came back and it was, uh, apparently it was a bloke, uh, who was claiming to be autistic, even though he admitted halfway through that it was a self-diagnosis. There was two women in the audience, just, uh, my partner and another woman who obviously had lovely eyes. <laughs> At one point he goes, so what do you think about, uh, feminism? And one woman started saying, well, I think, and then he just went, shut up. <laughs> oh, brilliant. And there was brilliant. no jokes in it. It was just no, that's funny. a 50-minute <laughs> rant about this man's <laughs> sad life. Shows get sold as comedy, uh, and a lot of the times, they're nowhere near that. They're a form of therapy, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> But going back to the term Edinburgh, I, I don't want to, you know, come across as too antagonistic. What, I think mm. you touched on it. It's that that thing of, you know, I I don't like snobbery in comedy. And like people just go, uh, uh, comedy is uh, is this, and they define it as this. You know, I only like uh, surreal whimsy. That's mm. it. And all other comedy is shit. Yeah. And I just think it's self defeating, isn't it? It's like it, it's stupid. You know, there, there should be ways for the two types of comedies to coexist without them sort of looking down on what they consider to be, you know, the drones of the circuit. Even within the circuit, there's there's lots of True. different styles. But uh, every time anyone fights for a particular style and says, well, that's, that's proper comedy, I, I tend to go, no, it isn't. It's, you can't say that. It's just no. for you, you think that's proper comedy. Doesn't mean it has to be for everybody else. Uh, I mean, and there's also that whole thing, we've all done that, where you've got bits that are in a longer show for Edinburgh, and you think, when you go back on the circuit, you think, oh, this has been stonking it. What I'm going to do, I'm going to do the Edinburgh bit. And they're just received with fucking tumbleweed. Or even worse, <laughs> when people then do go back to the circuit and go, well, well I was in Edinburgh uh, only a couple of oh. weeks ago, and the audience yeah. do not care. No, they, they don't give a shit, do they? No, they don't. <laughs> I've reached the end of this particular episode, and I've always got to remember to say all these different things that at the end of the show. Uh, yeah. One, of course, which is thank you for uh, listening or watching. hope you enjoyed it. And if you have, then definitely click on a like, 
And if you've got any comments and suggestions of uh, people you'd like us to interview or subjects you'd like us to discuss, put that in the comments. And if you're listening to this in a podcast, then tell other people about it. Is there anything else I should be saying at the end? Tell your friends about it. Yeah. Tell your friends, acquaintances, close relatives. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody. Just random people. Yeah, just tell the stranger on the street. Yeah, as you yeah, commute into to work. <laughs> just go... You should have been here Ooh, last week. Just say that to people. <laughs> this train was packed last week. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good enough way to finish it. That's the, the be the end of our Edinburgh series, and we'll be talking to just general purpose promoters in the next one, and we'll see you then. This show is part of Podomity, the podcast comedy network. We're the best kept secret on Acast. Why not laugh at what else we've got? Check out podomity.com now.